All right, this is uh, Tokalon Tasting Tiklan. Hey, this is Christopher Chan, your host of Happy Hour Radio, and I'm here in downtown Seattle in the historic Pioneer Square District, where I have the pleasure of attending um, a very prominent, famous uh, wine tasting, as if aren't they all. Uh, this happens to be um, about a very Napa, famous Napa property, and uh, I had the pleasure of uh, sitting here with Mark DeVere, who is a master of wine, and we're going to talk about today's events. Mark, welcome to Happy Hour. It's a great pleasure to be here, Christopher. Thank you for having me. Well, I love the accent. I mean, these days, it seems like everybody's got an accent on a TV show or a newscast. I mean, it just gives us such more, more authority. So it sounds really fun to hear your accent. Let's talk about you. You uh, grew up where? Well, I've been practicing this accent all my life, Christopher. I, I grew up in Oxford in England and started in the wine business in retail and wholesale there. I had the chance to work in Australia in wine making and production and vineyards for a while. And then I moved to Napa Valley in 1997. Missing some of that rain from England at all? Or? Well, it's good to be in Seattle today. <laughs> Yes, we actually got a nice little sprinkle. It's been nice and warm, and I uh, uh, hope you enjoy How long are you here for? Just here for the day. For the day. Well, zip in, zip out. So uh, you achieved Master of Wine, uh, the title, in 1997. Back in 97, yep. Were you have to, did you have to write a paper or a thesis, or what What do they say, they, master's essay? They called it a dissertation in that time. It was a slightly different format from the current research paper, but I certainly had to do an independent work and a lot of research into it. But yes, there was a third paper paper. A uh, slightly different format from today, but I did do one. Congratulations. Um, thinking about England, do they still say claret? Some people call it claret, yes, absolutely. And when you were working in retail, did you work for one of those historic shops, or uh, did you specialize in perhaps Madeira, or Port, or Claret, or Burgundy, Champagne? Well, it wasn't one of the historic, ancient uh, English wine companies, but it was a famous piece of the modern wine history of England, a company called Oddbins, who did a lot to bring uh, high-quality wines and wine understanding and wine communication and wine education to the high street, as it were. So they were wine and spirit specialists, but uh, a, a chain around the company. We're in college, I remember we drank a lot of beer. Did you drink beer in college? Was that sort of the, the going grog? I absolutely drank beer in college because, of course, England is where the best beer in the world is made. Okay. And though you went to Australia to determine to uh, just do the whole new world, old world contest. Um, let's talk about Australia. You said you made some wine. What region were you working in? I worked all over. I had the chance to work up in Rutherglen in northern Victoria. I worked in Watervale in the heart of Clare Valley and worked with some beautiful Rieslings and Syrah, Shiraz. I worked over in Margaret. River, and I worked up in Hunter Valley making beautiful semillons and Shiraz there too. Wow, is, was this as a master of wine where you were pursuing that? This was before I passed the exam, but I was certainly in pursuit of it at that time. In fact, I sat the exam for the first time in Sydney back in 1996. Wow, um, I'm reading, um, I'm studying for my master's in theory here, and there's so much great. Um, Australia's really fun. I actually have some relatives down there. I've only been to Hunter Valley and to Adelaide, and there's so much to see in the Adelaide area, if the super zone, if you will. Um, tell me, what was, if you were to start a winery now in Australia, where would you go? Well, that's a tricky question because I haven't worked down there for 25 years or so, and <laughs> the, the wine scene has changed a lot down there. But there's certainly a lot more interest in the the cooler climate regions. I might, uh, if I if I off the top of my head, I'd pick a cool climate region in Victoria to grow Shiraz or Syrah. Excellent. Um, I remember Heathcote was one of my favorite areas there, and I enjoyed many uh, red wines. That would be high on my list, absolutely. Yeah, one of my favorite 
actually. So you are now in Napa Valley, and um, what do you do? Do you taste wine, or you have a, uh, a website, education? Tell me what uh, Mark Devere does. I, uh, well, 22 years ago, I started a six-month summer position at Robert Mondavi Winery and fell in love with Napa, fell in love at that time. I had the opportunity to be working with Robert Mondavi himself and sort of fell in love with his passion and spirit and mission, and I love the wines there. So I, after 22 years, am still continuing that six-month summer job, and I'm still an employee of Robert Mondavi Winery and Constellation, our parent. Very cool. You know there's some history here between Seattle and Robert Mondavi. Are you familiar with that? The Rainier Brewing Company, That's of course. Right. Yes. yes. Yeah. Um, I worked at the Rainier Club, and, and the former president, um, uh, Duane Crager, was the CEO of uh, Rainier Brewery back in 1965. And you remember getting a little, looking to diversify their, their assets, and he had some, what is it, RFP <laughs> from a guy down in, an Italian dude down in Napa. Yep. So in the, in the early days, Mr. Mandavi, when he left his family winery, had to... Uh, borrow money to buy land and start his business and he had some original partners who believed in his vision and another partner who underwrote a bank loan to support his vision but at some point uh, they, they wanted to get out of their loan situation I think and so Rainier Brewing stepped in and were funding the Romdavi growth and mission for many years. You know they do say there's no great wine without great beer. <laughs> Absolutely. So perhaps that goes further. Let's talk about Napa. Today we're here for um, a very a fantastic idea of a tasting. It's called Tokolon. Tell me about it. So, of course, the Tokolon Vineyard is the vineyard right behind Robert Mondavi Winery, and it's one of the vineyards that's growing in notoriety and fame. It's also a vineyard that I think is being recognized for having individual character and almost to the point of being identifiable in blind tastings. And so what we've done with this presentation you'll see today is really to try and help people understand where my view of where Tokolon fits in the world of wine, what makes Napa distinctive, what makes Oakville distinctive, and what makes the Tokolon vineyard distinctive in the overall world of wine. And then also to show how that vineyard is interpreted through the Robert Mondavi winery style, because we definitely believe we have a style inspired by Mr. Mondavi's vision of wines that have intensity and power, but also gentleness and brightness and freshness. And Tokolon vineyard works perfectly hand in hand with the, the Robert Mondavi winery style. This is a very old vineyard, and I was reading some history about it. There's a, a little bit of a story out in the media these days about, um, you know, the naming rights. and and But some of the history there is very, very interesting. It goes back uh, over 100 years, right? Absolutely. So the Tokolon name was first used in the 1860s, and H.W. Crabb was one of the most important viticulture pioneers and winemaking pioneers in Napa in the 19th century. And he used the name Tokolon as the name for his wine company, as the name for the vineyard, as the name for his stores around the country. And one of the things that made this a brand name early on was that he took his wines and directly shipped them around the country. And in all the major cities around North America, or the major wine markets around the United States back in the 19th century, he had what he called the Tokolon Wine Depot. And what differentiated that from most other wine stores is, as the advertisement said, guaranteed purity, which meant not shipped in bulk and blended and diluted and who knows what was gone into it, but you knew if you went to the Tokolon Wine Depot, you're getting wine directly 
only from the winery in Napa, and they sold only their own production. And the wines had a great reputation, won medals not only in the great competitions around the United States, but in Paris and in uh, Bordeaux in the 1890s. So the name had a great reputation, and as it were, it was a really interesting early use of a brand name to market the quality and purity of the wine. That's really cool. What a, what a great story. What a, um, a great visionary to say, hey, I'm going to put my name on something that, that is um, synonymous with, with purity and integrity. Um, when you think about the wine styles back in the, the mid to late 1800s, were they typically dry or did they have some residual sugar? Well, they made all sorts of wine styles. In fact, we have some of the old wine lists. They definitely made dry, high-quality red wines, and we see from the, we actually have some of the tasting notes, and there were, H.W. Crabb was making Cabernet Sauvignon, for example, and we can see the tasting note, clearly a dry wine, clearly inspired by the wine, and says inspired by the wines of Bordeaux. There were, however, many other things on his wine list. He was making sparkling wines, which were marketed in those days as champagne. He was making fortified wines, which were listed on the list back in those days as sherry and port and Madeira and so tan, so one assumes a, a sweet wine being marketed under that generic name, but he was definitely making high quality dry wines, and his most famous wine was known as Crab's Black Burgundy, and we believe it was either Rafosco or Mondeuse, but again, fairly sure it was a dry red wine. Oh, amazing, keep, keep, keep going. And I was gonna say, when we have actually pictures of the wines in the inside his stores or the wine depots around the country and they were often shipped in barrel and people would bring in their own jugs to fill them up. He did sell bottled wines also but I'm guessing that given that they were basically dry red wine styles and not fortified or bottled, they must have been dried in order to be preserved and be able to be served from a barrel in the wine shop. And not getting secondary fermentation. And not starting up again, yeah. Quite so fun. So these days how many producers are um, have, have expressions of Tokelon fruit? So there are two owners, basically, of land that can use the Tokelon name, Robert Darby Winery and Constellation, who now owns Robert Darby Winery, and then Andy Beckstoffer, who is an independent grape grower and owns a block of 90 acres just south of Robert Mondavi Winery, and he sells grapes to uh, nobody quite he doesn't reveal exactly how many growers it is. At one point it was over 20. I think it might be slightly fewer than that now. And they're allowed to use the name Tokelon for fruit from this block of land. They tend to be very small production, uh, prestigious, high quality and high price wines. And so you have to really look hard to do an accurate count. But I would guess less than 20 wineries making wines often of 150, 200 case volume. We think about Napa Valley being very uh, prestigious, very high land value, and of course the red wines, Cabernet Sauvignon, Bordeaux style blends are um, commensurate with, with those prices, uh, but Tokelon does not, this has more than just Cabernet Sauvignon, is that right? For our part of the vineyard, it is basically the Bordeaux varieties. So we grow a white wine, our Fumé Blanc Reserve, mm -hmm. which is of course Sauvignon Blanc, and a little bit of Semillon that we blend with that, and then we make our 
Cabernet Sauvignon. We also grow some Cabernet Franc, some Petit Verdo, tiny bit of Malbec, tiny bit of Merlot that blends with the Cabernet Sauvignon. Andy Beckstuffer's block has maybe a few acres of Cabernet Franc, but basically Tokolon is about the what we might conceptually think of as the Bordeaux varieties. Interesting. We talk about Rutherford Dust. That's been something I've learned as a sommelier in, uh, in wine. Of course, Bouillot Vineyards goes way back as one of those forefathers of wine, along with Andre Telechev, right? Yeah. Um, is there a, a marker for Tokolon? Explain what you mean by a marker. Well, we say Rutherford dust. So ah. when we think about, you know, is it Oakville, Flavor I should profile. say, right. Is there something in the in Oakville at that particular site that uh, I'm with you now. Yes, yeah, right. so a sensory taste marker. I would sum it up both in the flavor profile and most importantly, the mouthfeel and texture. In the flavor, flavor profile, it's a fairly distinctive dark berry fruit, often with a very pure cassis, sort of blackcurrant essence character. There's often a good savory element, and certainly in the Rome Darby winery style, we embrace this, which ranges from sort of black olive to what jean Vierve, our chief winemaker, would describe as garrigue, that sort of positive dried herbs character. So that would be the flavor spectrum. Texture-wise, I think, is the characteristics where Tokolon really sits apart, which is this beautiful combination of the structural elements of the tannin and the acidity. And it tends to have fairly prominent tannin, but being alluvial fan benchland soil it can be very very fine even when it's strong and powerful but there's often a very strong acidity I don't want to get too geeky but a fairly low pH acidity so there's a strength and a freshness and a, and a brightness to the acid and there's something distinctive away the, about the way the acid and the tannins play together in Tokolon fruit. Well I'm excited to taste uh, I know we have two different sessions today how many wines will be tasting from Tokolon? Ah well it's going to be a blind tasting so that would be a bit of a giveaway but okay. a lot of the <laughs> A lot of the tasting we're going to be doing today is, as it were, putting things in context. And, and we make the suggestion that Tokolon has a distinctive character, that Oakville has a distinctive character, that Napa Valley has a distinctive character. So trying to convey that. And you won't be tasting anything you haven't tasted before. But I hope that what we found doing this, we've done this tasting now about 15 times. And most people find it's a really interesting way to think about terroir in the new world and to put these wines and these sites and these vineyards into the context of the world of fine wine. I think that's it's really important to have context because we think about um, every vintage is different for every single region and yet but there are similarities of its style and winemaking of course and I'm really excited about tasting these. Give me a website for Robert Mondavi Winery and then um, perhaps what you're doing. So robertmondavi.com would be a good website to go to and you can find out all about the the winery and uh, that would be my best suggestion. Awesome. Well, Mark Devere, um, welcome back to Seattle and and uh, thank you much, so much for joining me on Happy Hour Radio. Great pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. It's Mark DeVere, Master of Wine here for the Tokolon Tasting in Pioneer Square.